Hello, everyone. This is Ben Kelly with the Endeavoring Orthodoxy podcast. I am back, um, hopefully coming back to you every week uh, from here on out, that um, I did have to take some time off this summer. I was working nearly full-time while going to school in um, a postgraduate degree, nearly full-time. And so I just did not have much time to really put you know, really get on here and record my voice and talk to you about theology. So glad to be back. I'm glad to talk about some of these issues. Uh, tonight or today, I'm going to talk about, uh, I've titled this episode, Proclamation or Service. We're going to talk about John Stott's missiology. If you don't know who John Stott is, you ought to. He was a great evangelical pastor and theologian uh, coming from the Anglican tradition, had a strong influence over evangelical theology in the latter half of the 20th century. And even though I don't subscribe to a lot of his ideas, um, even his ideas on missions um, that I'm going to talk about tonight, I do have a great deal of respect for him, both as a pastor and as a theologian. So uh, but before I jump into that, I just want to say I'm glad to be back. I'm hoping to be back every week from here on out um, and bringing this uh, podcast to you. I've got some things coming up in the next month that I really think are going to be beneficial, good talks. I want to I want to do an episode reviewing the different um, church polities out there. I just I just got done taking a an ecclesiology course where we did an in-depth look into different church polities, and mainly there's three of them, but I'm actually going to um, sneak in a fourth in there, so that'll be interesting. I want to do an episode um, talking about why I am not a dispensationalist. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I will tell you later on during that episode, but I grew up as a dispensationalist, and I have since moved away from that type of theology. And I'm going to detail why I am not a dispensationalist. Um, in another episode, I want to review some of the books that I've been reading over the last quarter and am currently reading. And so that's, that's always good to give you ideas about what you can read and uh, what you can be looking into. And then I also thought about, um, I've been really digging into the Book of Common Prayer um, that's from the Anglican tradition. Um, lately, um, I, I recently preached a sermon um, in a, a friend's Anglican church, and as a gift, he gave me a book of common prayer. And then I met another Anglican priest um, after that who recommended that I buy the 1662 book of common prayer, um, which is the oldest version of it, and it's it's very it's a very Calvinistic document. And um, there are some sermons in there that um, I thought about reading to you one of the sermons. thought about doing um, some reading of parts of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones's book on preaching and preachers. If you don't know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is, you should. He was probably the greatest preacher of the 20th century. Uh, and that's not just from my own vantage point. A lot of people believe that. So lots of ideas coming up that we're going to talk about. Um, so little time to cover them in one episode, but what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about John Stott's missiology and the relationship between 
gospel proclamation, and then service. And we're talking about social action and service, political action gets involved in that. And how do these two things relate? Do they relate? Should they relate? Uh, there's a there's there's been a lot of just debate about what is the primary purpose of the church in the mission of God. You know, is the church called just to proclaim the gospel, or is it called to also do acts of service and you know social action? And is are those on equal footings? And what I'm why I'm going to talk about John Stott. Well, one, I just wrote a paper on him critiquing his views, but also also because John Stott is really the evangelical leader of the last fifty years who really brought this idea of equal arms of missions being gospel proclamation and acts of service. I'm going to critique that view and disagree with it. Uh, so I'll just get that out there right away. I don't think he is right. I think John Stott is wrong. There are many people who believe John Stott is wrong. So what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to read some of this paper to you so that you have an idea of what's going on here. I'm not going to read the whole thing because one, it's it's not my best work for sure. Uh, I def I got a low A on the paper. And when I was looking, when I first got the grade, I was like, man, I my professor was really tough um, who I wrote this paper for. Maybe, maybe the toughest I've ever had in seminary so far. He was really tough. He was tough on everything that I wrote, um, often had many corrections, and, and I had to write this paper over an eight-week period. It, it wasn't just something that I wrote in a week, and I built up by doing, you know, excuse me, built up by doing research over, you know, the first seven or six weeks and then wrote it in one week. No, I had to write, I write this in intervals. I had to, you know, do 250 words, then 500 words, then 1,000 words, then uh, 1,250 words. And so I kept going up in intervals like that to the point where this is over 5,000 words. Um, it's, it's, it's not too long, but it's not, it's not my best work. And so I'm not going to read the entire thing. Part of the reason why it's not my best work is it's a subject that I'm really, I really struggle to have a lot of um, passion about um, foreign missions is just while I believe it's important and it's beautiful and it's necessary uh, for, you know, to, if we're really going to apply the Great Commission to the health of the church, foreign missions is absolutely necessary. I don't think it's what I'm being called to. It doesn't drive me. I don't have a strong passion for it. I love to see other people who get passionate about it and they want to be called to other places and they feel a calling to a specific kind of people or specific place. That's great. It's not me. Uh, I don't think that's wrong or right. I just, that's how I've been wired. That's what God has called me to. So uh, this has been, this was a challenging class because I just did not have a lot of passion for it. Um, and there were, all, there were other reasons uh, and I'm, I'm reluctant to talk about them just because I, I don't want to spend too much time on them. But out of all of the subjects one can study in seminary the 
um, missions, uh, missiology is probably the most anti-Western ideological subject you can study. And so that just, I had a, I had a long email chain with my professor because, you know, I'm a, I'm more trained in philosophy and philosophical theology, apologetics, faith and reason. And I would get into long conversations with other students in the class about, you know, people in different parts of the world don't think like Westerners do. They don't apply the same logic. And I'm just like, wait a minute, hold on. Even when we go to different parts of the world, two plus two still equals four. So you need to explain to me how these different ways of thinking work, because I'm just not understanding what you mean. And so is it's very different again i i don't want to um disparage anybody who is into you know foreign missions and it makes it their, makes it their life calling that's great it's just not for me i'm i'm very much in the western tra- tradition and how i think and therefore maybe a fault of mine i have i struggled in this class so let me read parts of this paper i will explain what's going on as I read it, but I titled it A Biblical Analysis of John Stott's Theory of Missions. And so this paper, I had to write an abstract. An abstract demonstrates what the entire paper is about. It's kind of a preview, and it says this. Excuse me, I wanted to take a drink of my tea before I get to reading. It says, The life and work of John Stott as a pastor and theologian has left a long legacy in evangelical theology. Stott's missiology is of particular interest as it centers on many debates between issues of gospel proclamation and social action within missions work. Uh, Real point right there that I need to clarify right away. You're going to hear me use the word mission, and then you're going to hear me use the word missions. And those, when you're in the theology that we call missiology, the theology of missions, You have to understand the difference between those. There is the mission of the church, um, the missio dei, if you will, the mission of God, which is to proclaim the gospel. You know, it's it's what we read in the Great Commission. Go out, make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I have taught you, that type of thing. But then there are also what we would call missions. And when we talk about that, that is a subset of the mission of God. It is missions work. It is going out into different parts of the world, being sent there to do the mission of God. So I want to make that clarification right away. I'll say mission. It mean I'm usually when I say mission, I mean big missio day, mission of God, great commission type of thing. If you hear me mention the word missions, we're talking about specifically foreign missions being sent off things like that, missionaries and everything. So continuing, this paper will serve to examine these issues within Stott's missiology. This will be accomplished by first examining the missiological work of Stott, uncovering his belief that the Johannine Commission, that is the commission we find in the book of John, the Johannine Commission of John 20, verse 21, renders to Christians a mission of service that is tied to gospel proclamation as equal arms of gospel love. Gospel proclamation and service hold equal value and authority within this view. This will illuminate how Stott's missiology has contributed to modern missions 
theology and show how his work is still being applied to missions work today. Following this will be a biblical theological analysis and critique of Stott's work. What will be shown is that Stott's evaluation of service as an equal arm of gospel love does not follow the biblical pattern set out by the apostles in the New Testament. Further, Stott's exegesis of John 20, 21 is questionable as this verse is written in the context of redemption and not service. Finally, critiques of those who have been influenced by Stott's work will be provided as these later theologies tend to put a greater emphasis on service than Stott originally did. So what that means is people who have really been influenced by Stott have come along and they've pushed the boundaries of what Stott originally set up. And, and we'll get into that. Uh, and I'll give you a, examples of how that works. What will be shown is that Stott's missiology hinges on his interpretations of John 2021 20, as in an act of eisegesis. Eisegesis being you read into the text what you want to see rather than getting out of the text what you think it says. This type of theology clearly fails when tested against the descriptive and prescriptive works done by the apostles in the New Testament. So that's the abstract. That was an overview of the paper. Let me get into, uh, let's see here. I will, I will read the introduction and then we'll read the part on Stott's missiology. And then I'll, I, will, I will explain what's going on as I go. It's, it's after, and, and this is so funny. I was really kind of bummed out that I didn't get as high a grade on this paper as I normally did. But then when I get into the theological analysis of the paper, I clearly start the paragraph like mid-sentence or something. It's it's way off. I must have copied and pasted something and forgot it. No wonder I got docked points for something like that. So uh, here's the introduction. The, the debate on social action and missions and practices of evangelism has been hotly debated for over a century now in Christian theology. Evangelical scholars and theologians are newer to this debate but have spared no ink in attempting to resolve this issue. One of the prominent theorists of the last 50 years has been John Stott. Stott is noted for heading the, and I want to make sure I say this right, Lausanne Congress of 1974. I think I said that right, uh, Lausanne, it's, it's um, Swiss, um, L-A-U-S-A-N-N-E, I, I believe it is Lausanne, Lausanne Congress of 1974, which formed an evangelical directive of evangel evangelization and world missions called the Lausanne Covenant. Both the Covenant and Stott have been celebrated by evangelicals as well as highly criticized for their close association between evangelism and social action. Stott wrote many books and articles developing his theory of missions and social action. Stott unwaveringly claimed that social action cannot be separated from evangelism. Using the commissions of Christ, both in Matthew 29, 19-20, the Great Commission, and John 20, verses 21-23, which we already cover, called the Johannine Commission, Stott laid out a theology that appropriated Christ's commission as service rather than evangelism. Stott insists that Christians are servants only in evangelism and missions once they are not, or since they are not able to bring others to redemption in Christ. This paper will serve as a theological analysis and critique of the missional theory of John Stott. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm not going to read the rest of that. That's just kind of recapping what I did in the, um, the abstract. So, 
First section, John Stott's missiology. According to Stott, the relationship between ecumenical and evangelical Christians has been strained by divergent or extreme views on missiology. One extreme is the belief that missions and evangelism should concentrate on proclamation of the gospel, leaving little room for social action and benevolence. This is this is obviously the very conservative, evangelical, almost fundamentalist um, approach to missions, that social action is, if it happens, it should and it can, but proclamation of the gospel is always front and center. And, and you know, I'll be quite honest, that's where I sit, and that's why I think Stott is wrong. That's where other, you know, theologians like John Piper, for example, he sits. I actually, I looked into some of his work and critiquing uh, Stott for this. Um, so there's there is obviously a healthy number of evangelicals who would follow this first view that Stott is already critiquing. Stott believed this traditional view of the missionary left little room for other work besides proclamation of the gospel within missions. While education and medicine are perfectly acceptable as part of doing mission, they fall under the label of evangelism. Stott characterizes this view as unbiblical with a good bit of apocalyptic hyperbole. And I'm quoting Stott here, the world is like a building on fire, it may be said, and a Christian's only duty is to mount a rescue operation before it's too late. Jesus Christ is coming at any moment. There is no point in tampering with the structures of society, for society is doomed and about to be destroyed. A person's only hope lies in being born again. So Stott, obviously, he's using hyperbole there. He's, he's characterizing this traditional view as nothing else matters. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. We just have to proclaim the gospel. So take what you will, but that's how Stott portrayed that. That actually comes from his book, um, let's see, Christian Missions in the Modern World. Um, you can pick up a copy of that pretty easily. This uh, mine came from um, InterVarsity Press 2015 edition. Um, but yeah, that, that comes directly from his book. And uh, most of the stuff where I am outlining Stott here comes from that book, although I do reference other articles and um, pieces that he wrote. So this portrayal by Scott describes this type of missionary view through a negative lens that undervalues the importance of the eternal aspects of evangelism within missions work. If presenting the gospel message for salvation of souls is not the foremost important aspect of this kind of work, then it is a mystery as to what is. Stott's hyperbole does not reflect the importance placed on the gospel message seen in the New Testament. This point will be explored more in the biblical and theological analysis. The other extreme is that God is at work in history to promote peace and social harmony. God uses people to accomplish this mission. Advocates of this view argue that the presence of peace or shalom in the Old Testament was accompanied by material wealth and social peace. So just for clarification, these two traditional aspects or these two traditional views that Stott is arguing against, they are ones that he is describing within his own book. On one end, you have the traditional view that says, uh, you know, we only preach the gospel no matter what's happening in the world. The other one says the Old Testament shows us the peace of God, which is accompanied by material wealth 
and social peas. However, Sod explains four problems with this Shalom view. The first is that societal and political renewal in history does not directly point to divine intervention of God's mission. The second is that while peace in the Old Testament was often accompanied by social and material gain, there is no clear indi indication in the New Testament that the redemption of Christ is equated to this type of peace for all people. The third problem is that missions cannot adequately cover all that God is doing in the world. That means that uh, w the work that God is doing in the world is beyond just our idea of foreign missions. There's more that God is at work in and just in, than just foreign missions. The fourth problem is that social preoccupation often leaves little room for true evangelism. So, so we can applaud Stott there, that he, he sees this, what we would call a more liberal or social view of missions. He sees it for what it is and says, well, you're going and trying to do all these good, excuse me, all these good things, yet you're, you're not really doing real, true evangelism work. These areas of concern demonstrate that Stott did not brace a fully social form of missions work as he still held proclamation of the gospel in high regard. Missions could not be boiled down to works of service. There had to be a better way of understanding the relationship between these two extremes. Stotch suggested there must be a synthesis between the two views. He calls for a balance of the gospel conviction of earlier fundamentalists and the social gospel movement of the 1920s to help us see biblical relevancy in both doing missions work. The God of the Bible is a sending God. God sent his prophets and apostles throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But this sending is not exclusive to God's biblical servants. Just as Jesus sent out his own disciples and commissioned them, so the church and every believer is commissioned to engage in gospel work. The biblical synthesis cannot be accomplished merely by evangelistic proclamation or the accomplishment of social peace. They cannot be exclusivistic. According to Stott, the only way to understand mission from a biblical context is to evaluate the commissions in the New Testament. So I'm moving into the commissions here. For most Christians, the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19 through 20, represents the biblical mandate for missions work. The cumulative emphasis is placed on preaching, teaching, and discipleship. According to Stott, this is an incomplete view of the calling of the church. At this point, it is important to us. Uh, actually, I'm not going to read that. That's kind of that should have been a footnote. Told you this wasn't my best work, and I was reading that, and yeah, it should. It, sh it should have been a footnote. To fully understand the mission of the church from Stott's perspective, one must consider what is known as the Johannine Commission, where the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus would send his disciples in John 20, verse 21. This means that to understand the nature of the commission of the church, then one must understand the church's ministry is modeled after Christ's ministry. So let me just get my Bible real quick here. Let me read, actually, John 20 for you, what he's talking about before we go any further here, because otherwise you'll just be confused. And so uh, this is a section, I'm reading an ESV Bible here. Um, the section heading just says, Jesus appears to the disciples. I'm going to read verses 19 through 23 because they're actually all applicable, but we're going we're gonna to focus in on verse 20. So starting on 19, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, 
he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so that is that is the section of scripture we're going to be looking at, but we're going to particularly look at verse uh, 21. I might have said 20 earlier. We want to look at 21 in particular, and it says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This means, so the Father sent Christ, and this is getting back into my paper, the Father sent Christ into this world so that he could seek and save the lost. John, or 1 John 4, 9, 10, 14. Humans who make up the church do not have the ability to save the lost. Therefore, according to Stott, this begs the question in identifying the calling of the church. So what Stott makes the point of saying is that Jesus says in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. But what happens is that Jesus, in sending his disciples, Jesus Jesus' mission is different in nature than the disciples' mission. Jesus is able to redeem people. Jesus has the power of redemption. We, as Christians, do not. And so, there is a problem there, Stott argues. Humans who make up the church do not have the ability to save people. Therefore, it, there's a problem in identifying what is the true calling of the church, according to Stott. This is his argument. Many evangelicals have embraced Stott's theology. There is both biblical and practical relevance in holding the view of missions that maintains a two-armed approach for both gospel proclamation and service. However, Stott takes his position a step further in declaring that the description of Christ's mission to seek and save the lost is different from the broad mission of the church, and by extension, cross-cultural missions. Stott argues that the people of the church are not saviors like Christ, and therefore, the church cannot occupy the same mission. As Jesus' mission was to proclaim the good news of the gospel for the salvation of those who would believe, it was also one of service. Since the church cannot save like Christ did, then its mission is embedded in service. So, Jesus can save and serve. He is sent by the Father. Christ sends his disciples, like the Father sends, but his disciples cannot save and serve. They can only serve. So, according to John Stott, the church is called to a mission of service. This indicates that there must be a wedding between the proclamation of the gospel and the work of social action. Stott sees three ways this wedding is typically attempted. The first is where social action is seen as a preliminary work to proclaiming the gospel message. For missionaries to get the opportunity to proclaim the gospel message, then they must first perform acts of service. It is the service that gives opportunity for gospel proclamation. However, Stott is reluctant to embrace this view as it makes missions a bait-and-switch type of scheme. A missionary may feed starving people a meal, but then forces them to listen to a sermon while eating their meal. The second method is where social action becomes the proclamation of the gospel message. Social action is a manifestation of the gospel. This means that missionaries proclaim the gospel by doing acts of service. Again, Stott is uncomfortable with this view, 
as it makes service an aspect of evangelism rather than having a more equal status. A further difficulty arises with this view on whether the gospel message even needs proclaimed within this method. There could be an argument that since service is the manifestation of the gospel, then there is no need for actual gospel proclamation. And while Stott does not address this specific scenario, given his appreciation for gospel proclamation, it is easy to see that he would disagree with service that completely replaces gospel proclamation, which is a problem, and this is not part of my paper, that becomes a problem for later followers of Stott because they almost completely replace gospel proclamation with acts of service. The only option Stott will entertain is one where proclamation and social action are partners in mission. Both belong to each other, but are also independent of each other. Neither leads to the other, nor is a means to the other. Both belong together in the mission of God. The two are tied together because they are. Uh, there are numerous circumstances and scenarios where one will be more important than the other. Both proclamation and service are expressions of gospel love. The other two methods fall short of this partnership because they do not hold proclamation and service as equal expressions of gospel love. So it goes back all the way to the first part of the paper. We talked about the traditional view and the more peaceful view, the more shalom view. One is centered really on proclamation. The other is served on acts that bring the peace of God. Stott is saying these don't work because they do not uphold equal arms of both proclamation and service. Stott accomplishes this wedding of evangelism and social action by questioning the value Christians place on the Great Commission. Now, that should cause your ears to perk up. The instructions given in the Great Commission were that Jesus were the last um, words Jesus gave to his followers, and there is a prominent place for these words in the Christian mission. Stott does not want his readers to misunderstand. He believes the Great Commission is important and that Christians are under obligation to fulfill the words of Christ. However, what Stott hopes to make clear is that Jesus also commanded his listeners to love their neighbors as they do themselves. Stott explains, and this is a quote from Stott, If we truly love our neighbor, we shall without doubt share with him or her the good news of Jesus. How can we possibly claim to love our neighbor if we know the gospel but keep it from them? Equally, however, if we truly love our neighbor, we shall not stop at evangelism. For Stott, this wedding of the proclamation and social action obligates Christians to see their neighbors as social beings. This means that the political act that political action must be tied to social action that is already wedded to the gospel. In this way, Stott is able to frame an argument where social, political, and gospel concerns are brought together for the purpose of mission. Now there's, I mean, you guys have heard me talk about liberation theology before, social action. You know where I stand on that. I, I firmly disagree with Stott here, and I will get into the biblical reasons as to why I disagree with Stott, but let me take this a step further. I'm going to skip that section. Skip that. Uh, let's see here. Excuse me. So a biblical theological analysis. Here we go. Let's see here. And this is this is where I messed up. So I, I messed up in this paper somehow. 
let's see. So what we want to really get across here with Stott's missiology is that it's really not in line at all with the rest of the New Testament. It's fine to say that Jesus, you know, demanded both proclamation and service, and and he tries to fit service into John 20, 21. But if these two things were supposed to be equal arms of how the church is on mission, then the apostles absolutely failed. There is no question. The biblical evidence after the Gospels is just not on Stott's side. And so I will start. The difficulty for Stott's missiology comes in questioning how the New Testament preeminence of salvific knowledge of Christ can be altered into a command of service. Stott's insistence that the church's mission is different from Christ's mission as the church cannot save the lost but only serve non-Christians, does not reflect the actions of the apostles or the early church in the New Testament. The first thing that Paul did after his conversion was to proclaim Christ in the synagogues rather than perform acts of service, Acts 9, verse 20. And for every one of these instances, I'm going to give you scripture references. I'm not going to read them. You can look them up. The first thing Paul did after his conversion was proclaim Christ in the synagogues. Acts 9.20 Paul states that he works to proclaim Christ so that everyone may be presented mature in Christ. Colossians 1.28 In fact, Paul writes to Timothy that his service to Christ is not social action but the proclamation of the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.12 To claim the church's mission and missions in particular are of service would be to place Paul and those he wrote to commanding gospel proclamation in a different class than the church today. This presents problems of discontinuity between the church in the New Testament and the present age. Stott has placed service as an equal arm of missions along with gospel proclamation while ignoring both the descriptive and prescriptive practices of gospel proclamation throughout the New Testament. There is simply no way for Stott to smuggle in service as an equal arm to gospel proclamation without diminishing both the teachings and the works of the apostles. Stott is presenting a different missiology than that of the New Testament. And so this is a subsection, Stott's portrayal of service. Stott's diagnosis of the relationship between gospel proclamation and service elevates service over gospel proclamation because it orients gospel proclamation to service and not the redemption of Christ. It is true that Jesus came as both Savior and servant, but Jesus' service was redemption-oriented and not service-oriented. Anytime Jesus performed a major act of service, the intention was not to draw attention, the intention was not to draw attention to the act of service, but to point to the servant who is the promised Messiah. In Stott's analysis, all Christian missions is directed towards service. The problem with this attitude is there is nothing beyond the service to point to but itself. This means that if a missionary goes to a foreign land and performs acts of service with Stott's theology in mind, there is nothing these acts of service point to but themselves. Service in Stott's missiology exists because it is the point of reference which all missions is done. Stott might have argued that this is not true because God commands service and the church is obliged to follow this command. 
But if this is true, then the element of redemption is entirely lost as missionaries would be sent to faraway countries merely to serve a lost people. The element of redemption is completely lost in this context because the orientation of this service or practice does not have a doctrinal basis behind it besides a moral obligation to serve. Missions as service becomes a practice that has no doctrinal content behind it. If service is the main objective, there is no reason for talking of redemption. There may be no reason to think non-Christians are lost in the first place if missions of the, if mission and missions of the church is completely from a service context. If this line of thinking is taken to its furthest extent, then missions as service-oriented completely annuls the need of gospel proclamation, which sets different texts of Scripture against each other. Jesus' commands to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth cannot be read in the same breath as Jesus' words in John 20, 21, with Stott's missiology because the service Christ commands has completely devoured gospel proclamation. Service and gospel proclamation are not equal arms of missions. Service has taken the throne as the crowning achievement of missions and completely changed the essence or the nature of the church's mission. Exegesis of certain texts. This is another subpoint. Further difficulty arises for Stott when looking at the contextual evidence for the verses Stott uses to argue his position. It has already been demonstrated that John 20, 21 is written in the context of redemption of sin and not service. I skipped over that part. That was an earlier part. But what we what we have to understand, Stott makes a big deal about service in the Johannine Commission, but the context of that commission is redemption. It's not service. Verse 23 explicitly describes the work of forgiveness of sin. This is because in verse 22, Jesus breathes on his disciples the Holy Spirit, who is the one able to do the work of redemption. The reasonable reading of these verses indicates that Jesus has given his disciples the Holy Spirit so that they can send out, so that he can send out his disciples just as the Father sent him, and the disciples are able to participate in the work of building Christ's church through the power of the Spirit. So just as God commissions Christ, you know, you see the Spirit of God descending on Christ like a dove, you know, just as Christ begins his ministry, his powerful ministry after his baptism. So Jesus breathes on his disciples, the Holy Spirit, and they are to begin their ministry, their powerful conversion of the peoples. The plain sense of the text indicates this. However, Stott's interpretation must call on reasons that are not plain and must be inferred through other biblical texts. While it is no way an improper practice to allow portions of Scripture to help interpret other portions, Stott's position calls upon readers to ignore the plain sense of the text in John 20, 21 in favor of a more drawn-out interpretation that then causes friction with other texts, such as the Great Commission. Another difficulty for the Johannine Commission, as Stott interprets it, is this interpretation is no later echoed by the apostles when they directly state that what Jesus called them to do. In Acts 10, 42, Peter states that Christ commanded him to preach the gospel. Acts 26, 16 through 18 describes Paul's conversion and calling to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. If Jesus commanded his disciples to lead a ministry of service, then they utterly failed as perhaps the two most influential apostles of the New Testament church 
have both declared Jesus called them to proclaim the gospel and not to serve. Other verses throughout Acts speak to this as well. In Acts 2.38, Peter tells his listeners that they must repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 3.19, Peter calls his listeners to repentance. Acts 4.31 describes the Holy Spirit coming on many people in the area where Peter and John were proclaiming the gospel. Acts 5.42 states that the apostles continued every day to teach and preach that Jesus was the Christ. Acts 6.7 describes how when proclaiming the word of God increased, the numbers of the disciples increased. Oh, by the way, and one I forgot to put in there, Acts 6 talks about how the work of the apostles was to preach the word of God and to be in prayer for the church, and that they then appointed people who were deacons of the church to serve the church. So that, that's one I, I don't know why I didn't put it in there, because it's such an important one, but I forgot to put it in there. Acts 8.4 describes those of the church who had been scattered by persecution and how they continued to proclaim the gospel. Acts 13.38, Paul in, in Acts 13.38, Paul and Barnabas proclaimed the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. In Acts 13.46, Paul, Paul and Barnabas state that it was necessary for them to speak the word of God first before anything else. Acts 14.21 tells of Paul only preaching the gospel at Lystra without any social action. Acts 17.1-3 describes how Paul and Silas went into Thessalonica and Paul reasoned with the Jews in the synagogues while proclaiming Jesus Christ. There is no mention of service. Acts 18.9 has Paul receiving a vision of Christ where Christ tells Paul to continue boldly speaking the message. Christ does not tell Paul to boldly follow in works of service. Acts 19, 9-10 states that Paul reasoned with the people in Ephesus for two years so that they would hear the gospel proclaimed. Again, no service is mentioned. The last verses of the book of Acts, Acts 28, 30-31, describe Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no mention of Paul doing acts of service. There is no social action. So, again, we have a problem here. If we interpret, and this, this should just be a general practice for any of us who are looking to understand what the Bible teaches. Anytime we interpret a single verse in isolation, we are in danger of reading into that verse what we want to read into it. In the case of Stott, looking at John 20, 21, he has read into it what he wants to read. And that's a problem, because when you compare this idea of equal arms of gospel proclamation and social action as the mission of the church, the New Testament just does not read that way. The Acts of the Apostles do not read that way. The the letters that Paul wrote, they do not read that way. And so we're, we're left really with two options. Either John Stott is wrong in his theory on missions, or we have to say he's right and the rest of the New Testament is wrong. And we have no reason to believe it. It contradicts itself. There's, some, there's a problem there. 
I'm going to continue. These are only some of the examples available. What is more than abundantly clear is that if the Johannine commission was one of service, then the apostles failed in their commission, and the church for many centuries has followed that failure. Acts of gospel proclamation are littered throughout the books of Acts. Any indication of service is difficult to find. Gospel proclamation and service cannot be two equal arms of the same gospel love if the descriptive evidence of Acts is to mean anything. If the Johannine condition is truly a command for service to equal gospel proclamation, or is, let me see. Sorry, let me read that again. If the Johannine commission is truly a command for service to be equal to gospel proclamation, then the apostles utterly failed in their mission, and anything else they write or say in the New Testament should be questioned, as it cannot accurately represent what Christ commanded his church from Stott's point of view. And so I'm going to, this is a little bit different. Uh, so I move on to a subsection here called a holistic gospel. One of the problems that also arises if you read the literature, and I pretty much biblically destroyed Stott's theory of missions uh, for, at this point. But one of the problems, a, a continuing problem for Stott in his legacy, if you take, if you follow those who were influenced by him, what they have done is they have reinterpreted major points of theology in the New Testament to mean more than what they classically mean. And so what I mean by that is redemption, for example, th this idea that gospel proclamation is what brings about redemption. Followers of John Stott, and we can't blame Stott for this. He can't. He can't 100% be held accountable for people who used his ideas and took them further. But at the same time, we can hold him accountable for some of this because they were his ideas. He brought up some bad theology. And so people took that bad theology and then took it further. So this is a, this is a section. I may have to explain it as I go. But um, this is where we see some of that furthering of bad theology. Justin Thacker, who is a theologian, and he, I found his um, articles in different theological journals. Justin Thacker points to Stott and the Lausanne, um, and Lausanne as leaders in directing evangelical theology back to a holistic gospel that is concerned more with elements of salvation beyond the eternal security of individuals. While Thacker does not speak for Stott, Stott clearly had an influence on many theologians that have gone on to broaden the evangelical understanding of salvation to include material and temporal elements. Thacker would go on to establish that proclamation and social action are not two arms of gospel love, but should be understood under the broad umbrella of what the church is. Proclamation and social action rather describe the ontology or being of the church rather than simple activities the church engages in. Thacker directly cites Stott in helping him understand this new paradigm. It's beyond the scope of this paper to deer entirely with Thacker's work. What is important is to critique his views born out of the influence of Stott. These are views held by many others and not simply Thacker. And I cite Thacker there in his paper where he lists other theologians who are on board with his views. The claim that a biblical view of salvation includes more elements than eternal destiny 
is correct, but must be qualified. There are certainly verses that point to issues beyond eternal destiny. 2 Timothy 1.9 discusses how those who are saved in Christ are called to a holy life. Sanctification for the Christian in this life is present as an element of salvation. 1 Corinthians 6.9 mentions those in Christ will inherit the kingdom of God. Inheritance as part of seeing the fulfillment of God's kingdom is an element of salvation. Ephesians 1, 13, through 4, 13 and 14 describes how those who are saved are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Life with Christ, and not necessarily eternal life, is one that is marked by life with the Spirit of God. So there, what I'm saying there is this, this present life is one that is marked with life by the Spirit of God. While none of these verses explicitly discuss the eternal destiny of those who experience salvation, the benefits related in these verses point to an eternal destiny beyond an earthly benefit. Sanctification is clearly portrayed as an ongoing event preparing Christians to be more like Christ so that they will eternally reflect His image. There are indicators in this life that the kingdom of God is being developed here and now, but it is not yet fully realized and will not be until all are brought into eternal life with Christ. The Holy Spirit is undoubtedly at work in Christians in this life, but the Ephesian verses describe that Christians have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. What are they sealed for? They are sealed for eternal life and glory in the presence of Christ. Theologians influenced by Stott may want to broaden the elements of biblical salvation that include service and social action, but there is no denying that these other elements point towards eternal destiny with Christ. Further, verses like 1 John 5, 11-12 describe the testimony given by John. The testimony John is discussing is that God has given those who are in Christ eternal life. Those who have the Son of God have eternal life. Those who do not have the Son of God do not have eternal life. John takes this illustration one step further in verse 13, where he states that the purpose of his writing is so that his readers would know they have eternal life. John is elaborating the proclamation of the gospel message to let his readers know that they have eternal destiny with Christ. There are no elements of holistic salvation that include social action or political action beyond eternal destiny in John's example. The explicit point of John's writing was to reassure his readers of their eternal destiny. This is only one example, but it demonstrates the clear failure of theologians like Thacker who have attempted to use Stott in developing a biblical salvation that includes elements beyond eternal destiny. And so, yeah, these, these theologians like Thacker, what they would argue is that we evangelicals, we must be involved in social and political action on the mission field because those are elements of holistic salvation that we bring people into this idea of holistic salvation by giving them better government or giving them education. Or, and that's just, that's just weird. I mean, that, I'm not going to get into the weeds of what they're talking about. Again, look at Acts. Look what they were talking about. Look at the New Testament. It's about proclaiming the gospel. Yes, acts of service are good, and they should be done, especially when you have the means. And you, you could definitely say there is a responsibility there. But that is not the first and foremost, the primary obligation, the primary mission of the church. It is gospel proclamation. 
It's questionable whether Stott would have embraced the work of other theologians who used his own thinking to complete their own ideas. What is more than clear is that the ideas of Stott have been used to develop a theology of missions that points to a non-biblical idea of salvation. The biblical model of salvation always has eternal destiny as the primary motivation behind it. While lesser elements are present in the biblical literature, all of these elements point to the larger element of eternal destiny. The primary objective in doing missions work is proclaiming the gospel message for the benefit of other people's eternal destinies. And so that's all I'm going to read of the paper. Uh, really, I mean, what we're talking about is important because this idea, not necessarily for missions today, but for social and political action, even domestically here in the United States, this is something that is a big topic. And we have to ask ourselves, are we going to embrace these more, quote unquote, holistic views of salvation? Or are we going to follow in the prescription and description of the New Testament and whole gospel proclamation at the top of this? I hate using Stott because I think he is really a, a good, he was a good pastor, a good theologian, really cared about the proclaiming the gospel. But when you, if there's nothing else to learn from this, it's that when you interpret verses in isolation and you explain them out of context, like he does with John 20, 21, you know, which was clearly written in the context of redemption. And when you try to explain those and interpret them out of context, you're really playing with fire. You're going to bring about interpretations that lead you down the wrong roads and then lead others down the wrong road even farther. And so uh, that's all I've got for today. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it was beneficial. You can see a little bit of some of the ideas that have been floating around, even from what we would say are good conservative evangelicals who have erred in their understanding of what the true mission of the church is. And so uh, with that, I will say, God bless you. Uh, may God illuminate you. Um, the Spirit of God just uh, illuminate your mind so that you would keep learning. Um, and just that um, every day you seek to continue uh, studying, praying through God's word, and that he continues to bless you. Um, just have a good day. Love you all. And I'll talk to you later.